Are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. Okay, Ozzy Quavedo, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? Doing well, Brett. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm good, man. I'm doing well. Listen, it's a crazy time for college coaches, uh, coaches all around the world, but College coaches uh, particularly seem to be doing it tough. How are you guys doing over at Alabama? You know, we're doing well. I think uh, if you consider everything that is happening nowadays and, and the way that you're approaching recruiting and uh, having these protocols and the whole, you know, uh, uh, unofficial visits and that period and all that, I think we're doing a very good job. I think uh, somehow we continue to develop an interest out there for the kids, uh, let alone because of, you know, the way we're swimming, how we are somehow, you know, finding ways to turn around this program. How do we have the kids to, you know, find a way for them also to get empowered and believe in themselves? You know, it's like almost a combination of all of it. Um, I always say in a way that we are lucky, you know, we're humble, we are blessed. I don't know how you want to label it, but the fact that we haven't had really a whole lot of uh, restrictions um, certainly helps big time. Um, I mean, I'm telling you, we're swimming long course, we're swimming short course, we're doing doubles uh lifting doing dry land almost like you know business as usual so um the kids are being very responsible everybody on staff making sure that we wearing the mask you know staying social distance uh if we need to travel if people need to be gone and all that the university has a plan according to the conference of course in the ncaa to make sure that everybody gets tested every so often and uh so far so good man keep knocking on, on wood so you guys feel like the college season is going to happen? Do you think that you guys are going to be swimming for championships this season? <laughs> That's a tough question. That's a tough question to answer. Um, only because uh, one cannot help to see what's happening worldwide. One, you know, I mean, yeah. you can help to see what happens at the national level. Uh, don't mean to get, I don't want to get political or anything because it's not my place to be, but um this is definitely taking repercussions on a lot of people. And uh, it seems like every institution is different. You have certain restrictions. I think at the end of the day, what I can tell you is the same thing, the same message that I give my kids every day. You know, just make sure that you take a great opportunity of everything that is given to you every day, because the answer is we don't know. Uh, we're trying. There's conversations. I'm sure head coaches are trying to figure this out, how even SECs can possibly happen. You know, but the thought only to have how many teams, you know, put in all the one location, I think, is I think it's almost next to ludicrous. You know, it's, it's also insane. So how do we manage that? Are you going to split it in between regions? Are you going to separate it by gender? You're going to have finally diving separated when yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have the answers. So I think the short answer to answer to 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 give you there is, is we don't know. We don't know. Mate, the reason why I wanted to have you on is because, first of all, we have a connection. We're former teammates. Um, at Auburn, but but also really, I, I just believe that you have uh, a really interesting story. I mean, you're the true immigrant who came from a foreign country, didn't speak the language, and has um, built himself into uh, a very successful man. And and I think your story is one to be um, listened to and and followed you know i think i think you're just a great role model out there for uh, for any young um kid who who comes to america it's kind of like the the land of hopes and dreams right like as a, as yeah. a kid you look at america as a place where 
you, you can go and get a better life. And you've done that, man. And, and I think it's just an incredible story. I do. I did at one point want to have your, your head coach, Coley Stickles on the, on the program. And I tried to do it one day and I was so exhausted and I just had to apologize to him. So listen, I'm going to get him on the program. There's no doubt about it. All right. I promise him that uh, he's a brilliant coach and, and, a, and a great leader. Um, but, but your story is just so intriguing to me in terms of where you've come from. So talk to me about growing up in Venezuela and, and having the dreams that you had to maybe one day come to America. Well, a couple of things, you know, having the record now, so you're definitely going to have to follow through with Coley. And uh, number two, and, and probably the most important thing is I'm still learning how to speak the language, you know, by no means I know how to speak English. So um, let's just start from there. But no, um, you know, I think it's a very interesting story. Um, I don't, I don't, I get asked that question a lot, to be honest, Brett. And uh, kids ask me, you know, my own kids ask me about it as well. Uh, people within the community, you know, whether I'm involved in church or not, but every time it's, 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 it's always the same. You know, I, I, uh, I grew up just like you, you know, like every other normal kid, um, always having um, wanted to do something, always wanted to get out of the house, always wanted to play outside. Um, our generation was different. You know, we, we, we like to play outside. We like to get into fights. You know, um, I remember being a kid that always joking with my wife the other day, uh, saying how I was organizing fights within the block, you know, and <laughs> trying to make money and things like that. So it was just being, you know, a normal kid out there um, playing soccer, playing baseball, always playing multiple sports. But I think that level of energy, I think that level of, uh, of, of being so impatient around the house. Uh, one day, my parents decided to do something about it and they say, hey, why don't we just go ahead and put them into swim lessons? And uh, I, I ne never had any fear for the water because we had the proximity to the ocean and whatnot. And so we always at a very young age, my brother and I, my parents, you know, used to take us to the beach. So I learned how to be, how to, how to lose the fear of the water at a very young age because of my dad. And so um, as soon as I started doing the swim lessons and whatnot, you know, I went through one, one level into another one and they put me into the pre-team and, I remember my dad and I always race across the pool, you know, 25 meter, always race, always race across, uh, across the pool and see who will beat, you know, the next person. And if I had a chance to beat him, you know, that one day he was going to take me to ice cream or give me a prize or whatever the case might be. So my motivation was always that, beat my dad, beat my dad. Until one day I did it and we had the ice cream. And, uh, you know, I think consciously we both made the decision, also with my mom as well, that I needed to join the swim team. And so I did and uh, experience, you know, what something that one can call very young, uh, I don't know, success at a very young age, you know. Uh, made my first national team for Venezuela uh, when I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. Um, we traveled to Puerto Rico, you know, you swim in, I mean, at that age, you only swim 50s, maybe the 100, you know, the 200 I am, but you swim everything, you know, and it's pretty much the same system that we have here in the States. You know, you wanna make sure that the kids at that age learn how to swim the 1500 learn how to swim the 400 free, learn how to swim the 200 free and all that. So you don't necessarily get boxed into these 50 events, but that's the only thing that is available at the time. So um, experienced that, came back, um, and I told myself and I told my parents that that's what I wanted to do. But I always had the thought of leaving the country, going somewhere else, because at that time, I mean, I'm talking late 80s, you know, um, we didn't have swim swam, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have any of that. If, 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 I mean, it's lucky you get Swimming World magazine. And that was the only way for you to see, you know, what the rest of the world was doing and how you find out, you know, who's breaking world records. or so you see the newspaper. And, and so you fast forward a lot of years and uh, 
I uh, I got into college back home. I was I was on my process, you know, on my way to graduate and whatnot. But swimming always took like a second, like like the backseat. It wasn't part of my priority anymore. Um, I just wanted to do it for fun. I just wanted to do it because it was a good activity to do outside the house. But then I lost interest because I got into into academics. Believe it or not, you know, I really did. And and I wanted to become an engineer and I wanted to build these bridges and whatnot. And so. Um, I decided to change from uh, from uh, you know from from one university in, in, into another one, transfer into another one, and then uh, the only way for me to, you know to do that was to get involved into sports. And so this happened right before the trials in '96, and I began training, and uh, I almost made the national team. I almost made the Olympic team in '96. Mm. They picked a couple of guys. You know, one was the fourth guy, the other one was the fifth guy as a replacement, and I was sixth. So um, that basically led the fire for me to continue seeing what the what the vision could have been for Ozzy at that time, you know, moving forward. So um, made the decision with a lot of sacrifices on the on the financial side for my parents because you know the currency is different because it's a different culture because of the situation uh, on the economic side is completely different in South America and all that. And so I finally came to the states. And uh, I remember going into the Fort Lauderdale swim team at the time, which was at the Hall of Fame pool. Um, coach at the time was a couple of guys. You know, one was a Venezuelan guy, which happens to be the, the national team coach, one of the national team coaches for the Olympics in 96. His name was Tomas, Tomas Victoria. And he's still around. He's in Central Florida. Um, became kind of like the person that basically, you know, put me into the system and kind of showed me the ropes of, about what I wanted to do, what were my options, what were, you know, the, my goals, if I wanted to swim in college and all that, uh, which was completely foreign to me. I had, I had no idea how the system worked. But then the person that really, honestly, was my, you know, the one that really believed in me at that time, the one that really cheered me up every time, no matter what, man. I mean, if you, if you go, I mean, in terms that we both, you know, agreed upon and all that, if you, if you go 22-1 in the 53 long course and for some reason you just happen to race one time and you go 23-5, and you feel like crap, you feel awful, you feel like you're the, 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 the slowest of the world, you know, the smallest of the world. This person will always find a way to cheer you up and make you feel like no matter what, you're the greatest thing in the world. His name was Jack Nelson. That was Coach Nelson back in the day, you know, and, and, and he was the one that basically made me believe that I could make a successful somewhat career in college. And so he started making phone calls on my behalf. Um, I was a little club team, you know, kid that, that was just, you know, training out there. And I was probably the youngest guy swimming at the time. I mean, I remember names like Seth Bernier and uh, training at the time out there, Joel Thomas. Um, I don't know. I mean, names, people that have made the national team, the, the U.S. national team for like, the Olympics in 96, in 92, some of them in 88. And uh, I was just, you know, the young pop out there. And so he's making phone calls. I remember, you know, uh, making the phone call because I was in his office and he's calling Eddie Reese. And Eddie at the time was, was uh, you know, widely known for not taking any internationals, you know, on, on Steam. So that was a big no. I wasn't fast enough or whatever the reason was, but that was a big no. And so then we, um, you know, he called USC, he's calling Tennessee, he's calling, you know, a bunch of people and all that on my behalf to try and help me out because I hadn't really had an opportunity to race um, short course yards uh, or long course or whatever the case might be at that, at that moment because I was completely foreign at the about the concept. We go to, uh, that time, US, USA Swimming had what they call Spring Nationals, and it was in Buffalo, New York, I remember. Um, and out of the blue, I'm racing, 
you know, Ricky Busquets, I'm racing, um, I don't know, I mean, uh, you know, guys like Brad Witchwater were there, uh, Trip Shrek were there, um, you know, people that have made the U.S. national team, the Olympics in 96. And I'm in the middle of this meeting with people like that. I remember at that time, Misty Hyman was just, you know, a senior or junior in high school. And everybody was already talking about her, talking 98, 97, probably, how good she was underwater. There was no restriction about the 15 meter and all that. So all these thoughts are coming into my head. And all of a sudden, I get like second or third and 100 free. Um, and then everybody started to reaching out to me and wanted to talk to me. But never in my wildest dreams, Brett, I could have had a conversation with anyone for no more than 10 seconds. You could tell me literally, you know, go ahead and jump off the bridge, off the bridge and I would say, okay, yeah. And I would just go ahead and do it because I had no idea what was going on. People talking to me about TOEFL, SATs and all that, you know, being a transfer. I mean, it was, it was completely foreign to me. And so um, I had to go to world champs in Sweden. I remember in Gothenburg in 97, um, Francisco Sanchez, which is a good friend of mine, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, race great for uh, Arizona state and, and, and whatnot is coming back from winning. We went to that world championship one, I think the 1500 free beating Gustavo Borges, beating uh, Shusha Shetter, you know, even Ricky Busquet and all those guys. And uh, we end up eighth or seven. I think we might have ended up seven because someone got disqualified in the final of the 400 free relay. So that for me was somewhat of a ticket, you know, to, to whatever you want to call it, stardom or, 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 you know, fame or whatnot. So coming back, I mean, back in the day, all they send you was stuff in the mail, you know, media guides and things like that about colleges. So I'm living at this American family's house, cottage, you know, paying my rent and all of that. And I got a stack, man, of probably, you know, 55, 60 universities. Everybody knew who I was. So they're starting the process of having conversations and a phone line and all that. And I couldn't communicate with anybody. So one day, uh, Coach Nelson, rest in peace, says, hey, there's a young coach from the area who happens to have family. He's from Miami, Florida. Um, he's, uh, he's a graduate from Indian River you know, Community College at the time. Um, and he's doing a fine job at a small school in the middle of Alabama, in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, okay, who is this guy? Guy walks in, curly hair, blonde hair, you know? And uh, I have probably the worst practice of my life. But um, at that time, um, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even, you know, like I, I didn't meet him at that time. He only spoke to coach and then he walked out and then, you know, my coach, I'm so sorry. I'm embarrassed. You know, I don't know what happened, but I just, you know, they don't have it today. And he's like, no, that's fine. Don't worry. Um, I think he's going to be calling you at some point and we're going to schedule a trip and you're going to go and visit. And so I'm visiting, you know, Tennessee at a time, JT was a head coach over there. Um, looking into possibly going to USC. I think the coach at the time, if I'm not forgetting, uh, was Mark Schubert, you know, uh, we're talking, you know, uh, Berkeley when North was there. I mean, the whole bunch of different schools and along the way you have your Minnesota's Connecticut's, you know, that, but somehow people are talking to me and saying, you got to take a look into Auburn university. And I'm like, Auburn, what, like, what is that? What, what, what are you talking about? It's in the middle of Alabama. And I'm like, Alabama, like, no, you have this stigma, you know, you always think about, you know, Someone of my race could never go to, to Alabama. You know, what are you talking about? What do those guys know about swimming? What is it all? It's too cold for me. Like, no. And my friends, my, the, my, my peers on the team besides coach were telling me, just so you know, they just won the national championship. That's a program that is fit for you. You need to go over there. You need to take a look at it and all that. And so 
you know, with all these tribulations and troubles and things like that, I finally hop in a plane. I get into I get into the airport in Atlanta, you know, for my official visit and all that. I got lost in that airport. I don't even know how I made it to the to the you know the outside. And then the late Jimmy Flowers goes and picked me up out there, you know. And so he's trying so hard to have a conversation. I mean, we both know how long of the ride that is from the airport to Auburn. <laughs> and we're trying to talk and we're trying to get all the stuff done. And then all of a sudden, you know, I get out there and I remember he put me in the hotel. I spent the night and whatnot. He came and picked me up. We had breakfast. Um, I'm meeting David. I'm meeting some of the team. And I'm walking into the pool deck. And all I hear was this obnoxious guy just yelling and screaming, being so loud. But at the same time, he was commanding leadership. People knew who he was. People, you know, will follow this guy. And I'm like, who in the world is that blonde guy out there that is just yelling and screaming? It was you. You know, and so along the way, there were other people and everybody's just doing running dives and everybody's just, you know, I mean, you're coming off of a hype of winning a national championship. I had no idea about that. Um, and I just felt immediately drawn into that energy. I just felt like, you know, nothing else really mattered to me. But how am I going to make myself fit into this group of guys? These guys are clearly shooting for a for a for an ultimate goal there's there's a narrow vision out there and these guys are definitely trying to get there and stay there for a long time it's not just a matter of being a fluke and just winning one year because we got lucky because you know we wore this type of suit no 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 no, no. they have nothing to do about that it was just a matter of everybody was locked in into trying to get something and so after that um i probably still have remember leaving on sunday after that trip and having uh, my uh, breakfast meeting with david i probably have the offer that he gave me on his business card, you know, <laughs> because it was quarters at the time, you know, it was no semester. So he's showing me all the stuff, how much I have to pay. And I'm just like, okay, I talked to my parents. I don't know how we made it happen, but it was probably the best decision of my life, how I end up out there. And then from that point on, man, it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was just, I never looked back. Um, being part of national teams, being part of winning national championships, you know, realists and things like that, Pan Ams, making world championships, making the Olympics. But I think, uh, you know, you kind of, you did mention something about um, the transition from any coach, you know, from being a young assistant into, you know, a head assistant coach, is an associate and all these titles and all that until eventually, if you want to make it or not, a head coach. And I saw my, my, my levels of graduation and my place on that team. I remember going in 98 and making, making uh, you know, out of the blue, David decides to take, uh, I'm already in the team and David decides to take a chance on me and take one guy out of the SEC team. Um, Tim Brown, you know, yeah. already scoring uh, points and went to NCAs and, and he just pulls me aside and, you know, it's like, I'm going to take you and this guy's not going to go and you better respond. And I, I mean, I came in in January. I had no idea what yards was all about. I was supposed to go to, uh, to, um, to world champs in Australia. I remember. And so he put me in one lane in the diving well, David, with Scott Tucker and John Hargis and, and whoever else made the national team because I was supposed to go there. So I'm tapering forever. And then at the end, he decides, yeah, you're not going over there. We're going to go to SECs. Um, I'm taking a big chance of you, you know. And next thing I know, I got third at SECs. I was part of some relays, made a couple of finals here and there. So I never looked back after that. But that first year, I was the guy that um, at Auburn, which was a very particular uh, meet for us because we, you know, I'm part of the team now. We lost that championship to Stanford. And that was probably the last time um, Stanford men won a national championship. Um, you interviewed Xavier Muhammad not too long ago, and he was, you know, the leading charge of that team. Uh, but he was in our house, 
you know, and, and we felt disrespected. We felt like we could have done a better job. But I went from being the guy that barely made, you know, make the meat, being the guy that is like, you know, uh, uh, drying the blocks for everybody. And then it comes 99 when we won. But now I'm swimming the relays in the morning. You know, I'm, I'm the one that is helping the team to qualify relays, you know, for finals at night. So I'm making, uh, you know, the effort on my end to preserve the lives of yourself to preserve the lives of Brock Newman, to preserve the lives of Michael Bars and Romy and, and all those guys. So then it comes 2000 when I'm finally, you know, being able to, to not only swim in the morning, but also feel what it's like to swim in the morning and swim at night all out. So truly experiencing the whole thing. And that was pretty much the end for me. So um, it was a crazy experience, man. It was definitely uh, nuts to be part of that. Man, I got to tell you, for someone that uh, didn't know how to speak English uh, when you first came to America, <laughs> yeah, you certainly got the language down. I think that was the longest answer I've ever had in my uh, podcasting career, man. You're, uh, you've got you got the English language down pat, bro. Um, no, it's good stuff. I mean, it's just an incredible story from where you came from and to to get to Auburn and the decision you made, the influences that you had. I mean, we all we all have people that kind of open doors for us, right? And uh, But you have to walk through those doors. You have to take those chances. You have to be willing. Um, I do remember your recruiting trip at Auburn. You came in and you you were you were rooming, you were staying with us, uh, myself, right. Roman Barnier and Lionel Moreau. Lionel. The three of us were, were instructed to recruit you. And uh, – I remember at the end of the recruiting trip, David came to us and said, what do you think of him? How, uh, what's he like? We're like, we have no idea. He didn't speak the whole time. I, I think, I think he hated it. It was awful. Um, <laughs> I remember we took you out to uh, a bar. I think uh, we weren't supposed to do that, but chillies, we did. Chillies, chillies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember we were sitting there the whole, the whole night. You didn't say a word. And we're like, Oh man, uh, we were like, oh, he hates it here. It's, terrible is we're not going to get him and then at the end of the recruiting trip you're like yeah i'm coming to Auburn." we're like what the hell just happened <laughs> <laughs> you know it was um i mean i still remember that like it happened yesterday very vividly you know and uh you know first of all i couldn't understand anything you were saying honestly you know you were talking to me and it was just like gibberish like going in and out most you know, people say that i couldn't i couldn't you know honestly communicate with you um the other two, I think Romy was the one that always liked to talk. We always knew that, you know, we couldn't shut him down. He always wanted to talk more than, you know, we ever needed. So, but he did his job and whatnot. And then Lionel had a very thick accent and, and, and good or bad, you know, I was always having a tough time, but I, I, that was, that was honestly, you know, secondary to me. I was just absorbing the whole experience because I took other trips to other schools and all that, but never once I felt the energy that I felt those 48 hours when I was there in Auburn. And, and people told me, you know, again, they warned me, you're going in the middle of nowhere, you're not going to like the weather. What are you doing swimming indoors? You know, you've been swimming your whole life outdoors. What's the guy from South America going to do over there? You know, what are you going to study? Like, you know, people always make fun and say, you know, that's a cow college or, you know, do you want to become like a, some sort of a, you know, agriculture engineer or whatever, you know, all these misconceptions. But to me it was, I wanted to find a place where, number one, um, clearly, you know, I, I, I was, I was going to get my education. I was going to get my degree and whatnot. But also, I was going to maximize my, maximize my potential swimming-wise. And that, to me, was one goal, make the Olympic team. If I can become a national champion along the way, excellent. If I can medal at Pan Ams, excellent. But I wanted to be the fifth fastest guy, the sixth fastest guy, you know, fighting for a stop for a spot on a relay, you know, challenge people in and out in my own way or whatnot, because I knew that was going to help me to get where I wanted to be. 
you know, and uh, good or bad. I mean, I was probably not the most vocal guy. I was probably not the one, you know, maybe towards the end, I learned that because of the class that I came with, you know, the people that I swam with were excellent leaders. I mean, Dave Denniston was, uh, you know, became a team captain, I believe, uh, you know, his sophomore year. Greg Bossy, I mean, you know, I'm just giving you examples of people that end up making the U.S. national team and all that, but we all came out of nowhere, and, and, and that was David's way of recruiting, you know, always. I remember that since they won, too, and I still may have some of those social uh, media guys, you know, from 96, 97, 98, and whatnot, but that mode at that time, and I think you probably remember that, is, is David's idea was to get no names into known names, you know, and, 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 and that spoke to me pretty much everything. He could not care less about, I mean, every now and then we may go with a kid recruited number one or number two, or whatever in the country, but ideally he wanted to go with this completely international that no one knew about, you know, someone that made, in your case, you know, you, you made finals in the 50, you know, uh, at, 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 I don't know, and worlds, you know, in Rio, and then all of a sudden you end up out there, and 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 then I came out of nowhere just because you know he had a connection, or and someone talked to him about that, or Romy and Lionel came in out of nowhere too. But you get those examples, you get those 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 exceptions, and then along the way you're gonna get the kid that at junior nationals makes I don't know top 16, or no one knows who he is because he's third in his state or whatever, and and he continued to develop people like that. And that's just examples that you have on the, on the, on the men's side, you know, with the women was a completely different story because at the time the program was not existing until Kim, you know, Kim Bracken uh, came along and, and she turned around the whole thing. And then you start bringing, you know, Mimi Bowen and Mammy Bowen and, and, and her sister and, and the rest of the crew, you know, they turned out to be amazing things for Auburn at that time. So, well, I like this uh, mentality a little bit. I want to explore this because I like what you said, you know, you started off wiping down the blocks for your teammates and then you started off as a morning relay swimmer. And then you, you know, progressed to somebody that can contribute on relays and then you contribute individually. So it was like this progression. It's almost like, it's almost like your life in, in, a, in a nutshell, right? Like this immigrant mentality that you have yep. and um, just this, just this worker mentality and, and uh, to be part of a team. So like, how can you, you know, as a coach now uh, at one of the top programs in the country, how do you get your athletes to understand that there's a process and there's a buy-in and there's, um, you know, there's a timeline of like progression as well, because I think a lot of what uh, kids these days, the, the challenge that we face, as you know, is everything's instant. You know, you're on your phone, you can get instant access to anything. They want instant gratification. Everything's about likes, you know, and, and uh, if it's not happening immediately, they don't want to do it. They'll, they'll move on to something else where they can get that. So your story in a nutshell is basically this immigrant mentality of work for what you get, take your time, be patient, um, be a teammate and, and things will come and you'll progress to the position that you want to be in. Is that right? I think that was a luxury that we all experienced way back in the day. I don't think that applies anymore, especially with this type of uh, generation. This, I mean, you 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 hit it spot on. Um, they all want instant gratification. They all want to have immediate results right away. And so, um, I believe the best way to to empower that is 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 to let them know that you're going to be by their side. You know, no matter what, you know, you're going to have their best interest. No matter what. Um, once again, you know, you have to give them the ability to to show them the way, but also believe in what they're doing. And if they know that you're believing in them 100%, that you're going to be locked in 100%, I think you're going to get 50, 75, 80% of the, of the battle already won. You know, of course, you're going to have your tribulations. Of course, you're going to have your issues. 
Um, I mean, talk about, you know, inherited a program, you know, talk about a program that it wasn't necessarily, you know, I mean, you wouldn't imagine the amount of grief that to this day I still get from, from people related to Auburn because I took this job. And, uh, and, 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 you know, it was just an opportunity for me. And, and, and I think it was a great one. And, and I don't look at it that way. I look at it as a challenge. It's exactly what you're talking about. You know, I get myself out of my comfort zone to leave South America, to come to this country, to better myself, you know, to get a better opportunity for myself. Um, and it is a process. It took time. I mean, it, 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 there were times when I was completely, you know, frustrated with myself and my swimming, with my schooling, you know, and, 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 and things eventually came around uh, probably sooner than later or probably later than sooner, however you want to label it. But at the end of the day, it finally came. So I, I apply a lot of that sort of mentality, sort of the blue collar mentality, you know, when nothing is going to be given to you unless you work for it. Um, stop comparing yourself to other programs because we're not in the same scenario. You know, we're doing what we're doing and we're going to establish that culture one way or another. And it's going to take time. It's not going to be easy. Um, I mean, you know, Coley, Coley's intense. Coley's about performance. You know, Coley needs, wants to see results, but that makes him who he is. And that makes him probably, you know, one of the best sprint coaches in the world, but that's the label that people give him. Um, can he coach anything else? Absolutely, you know, but he just happens to coach that because it's what we need and it's what he likes or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we he's empowering each one of us as assistant coaches or however you want to call it to work and, and run the show with our groups. But each one of us are going to have a different set of mindset, a different set of skills, you know, with people according to personalities and all that. But the ultimate goal is going to be to turn around the culture and to establish one that is going to be here for a long time. Because if you look around, I mean, what else do we need to succeed? You got everything here. You're in the middle of the SEC. You're the epitome of the SEC. You know, you got probably the most successful, you know, athletic department that is out there. And uh, I don't mean, once again, you know, I don't want to get in the middle of, 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 you know, what one school may think versus the other one and all that. But I'm pretty... I'm pretty open about that because uh, we have possibly um, one of the icons when it comes down to coaching as it is, mentorship as it is, you know, way of running business as it is, or however you want to call it. But um, no one can deny what Coach Saban has done, mm -hmm. you know. So for us, you know, everybody here, everybody within the department, everybody, you know, whether you're an associate, whether you're an assistant, whether you're a head coach, you know, people are always going to look into what the man is doing. And the man has established himself a culture of success, not taking a day off, constantly working. You know, you're going to go ahead and enjoy whether it's a victory or, or sorrow, you know, your defeat and all that, but it's going to take only a certain amount of times or hours. And then after that, you're going to go ahead and get at it once again recruiting wise, talking to people, you know, getting your connections and doing that sort of thing. So I think, uh, I think the process uh, as it is, is never going to end. I think for me, um, you know, I just look at myself as a simple guy that yes, came from a different country, learning the language, um, eventually became a U.S. citizen and all that. And, and, and uh, you know, I continue to have the same goals. I continue to push myself, you know, to the next level, whatever that is. And, and, and we'll see what happens. Well, I was going to say, I think you're the only person in the history of uh, the programs to have swam for Auburn and coached at Auburn and now uh, coach at Alabama. So you have a very, very unique perspective. Nobody can compare to your perspective. You've seen both sides of it. So, uh, so uh, you know, not, not in the sense of you know, what, what's one over the other, but in terms of where you're at at Alabama, what do you feel confident about at Alabama where you feel like 
no other program in the SEC or, or in the country can offer what you have. In terms of recruiting, I mean, you're there. You've seen can, – can Alabama truly win a national championship in swimming? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I think I will be crazy. I will be, you know, nuts if I will not believe 100% because I would have never taken the job to begin with. Yeah. You know, there is a clear belief. There is a clear understanding that we have. We just got to put the pieces together. You know, I think recruiting wise, we can we can bring the best in the world. I think uh, location wise, you know, we're in a very mild kind of a weather. We have the ability to swim both long course, short course, outdoors, indoors. I think the resources are just, you know, second to none. I believe that we have all the pieces to to provide the best college experience in America. Yes, 100%. So um, I'm not doubtful about that. We just got to make sure that we get the right people in, the people that they can buy in, um, the people that understand that the process is not going to be overnight. But you also want to make sure that you're doing that along the way. They can also have a great academic experience because for, I will say, probably, unless you're talking to an international and all that, and even though you may have different cases, um, I think, you know, people want to utilize at some point, you know, the ability to code, to swim and all that to get their degree. And of course, that's going to be the essence for most people. But I think along the way, you may find someone that wanted to swim international, they want to swim, you know, in the ISL, someone that maybe want to swim profession and all that. And so we have people right now that are training here and, and, and you know, follow Coley or are training for the Olympics or, you know, are training to try to make the their U.S. national team or, or the international team and whatnot because they recognize, you know, what we have to offer. So for them, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a great opportunity. And we're trying to explode that to the best of our abilities to let people know that, hey, you know, um, we can continue getting this program better. We can become, you know, a national championship caliber type of a team, both men and women. I don't believe there's a, that there's a you know, gender separation or we're always going to be, you know, a better men's team than a women's team. No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I think our women can probably get there faster than our men right now, speaking today. You know, what could happen in a, in, in a, in a recruiting class cycle or whatnot? You know, I can't control. We're going to try to do that. But our goal is to, is to have build that dynasty and make it happen on both ends, men and women. Swimming and dynasty too. That, that's good to know. That's really good to know. Um, I've had a bunch of head coaches on the program, and I want to ask you this question. You know, you've been an assistant at some, some big programs. You've been an assistant at Auburn. You've been – at FSU and now your associate head at, at Alabama in terms of your advice to assistant coaches, how, how can you become, how can you be the best assistant you could possibly be? What does the head coach need from an assistant coach that you think is valuable? I'm going to tell you what uh, Jimmy flowers told me before he left Auburn and took the job uh, at the Olympic training center. Okay. In Colorado Springs. Um, he always said, the secret of being a good assistant coach, the secret of being, you know, a person that someone can trust is you have to make sure that you are in that person's back pocket, whatever that means. In other words, you know, in my eyes, you have to become available. You have to be present. You have to be eager to not only listen, but to observe, but also ultimately you want to be patient. And I know I'm asking for a lot of people, you know, for a lot of things and people to do this kind of stuff because it's hard, man. I mean, you know, whether you want it or not, you get caught up into this type of uh, mentality when you want to go from point A to point B immediately. 
and it doesn't happen. And then you start looking into how people become head coaches all of a sudden, you know, uh, without having paying their dues or having experience or, you know, get into the normal process of what it's like to, to become a recruiting coordinator, to know how to talk to people, to know how to sell the products, because at the end of the day, that's what we are. We are not. And I mean, I always say that we are in the people's business. You know, you need to learn how to relate to people. You need to know how to talk to parents, recruits, coaches, you know, when you get on deck and all that, because how, how in the world you're going to make them understand and believe what you're trying to present to them if you're not available in that sense. So I think, I think the process has to, has to, has to start from there. You know, you have to be very open to ask for help. You have to be very open to, to get a mentor out there. You know, someone has to become a mentor. You know, you, you have to have that circle, whether it's five, 10 people, whether it's two or three people, but people that you can always constantly ask questions and be open to listen, you know, and then the opportunity might come up. Uh, you might just go ahead and take a chance and, and move on into the, into other responsibilities, but always knowing that in my eyes, you know, you're not the boss. You're there to help. You're there to, to provide the help for the head coach being the head, you know, being the person in charge. And so you're going to try to do your best no matter what, you know, to make the program look good, make that person look good at the same time, but taking care of business, taking care of the things that, you know, head coaches, as you know, you know, you're going to have a lot of responsibilities in your plate. You're going to have a lot of different things that sometimes are, are, are completely out of your control, you know, and, and, and that'll be your meetings, you know, the, uh, the things that you have to deal with administration, you know, things are going to be a little bit outside of the scope of coaching. And so the head coaches have to have a trust enough, you know, to make sure that, Hey, you know, this guy can go ahead and run the show today. This guy can go ahead and do that. So, you know, there's a streamlined situation and things are happening, but the process has to be, um, you, you can definitely cannot rush the process because if you, if you want to just think about the money situation and, 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 and all the stuff that it will come with it, you know, they might give you a car, they might give you, you know, an expense account, you might get the cell phone and all that. I mean, it's all, it's all water and salt because that's not, that's not the true essence of coaching. Does that happen in Australia? Does that happen in Brazil? Does that happen in, in France? You know? And that's, and that's high performance swimming. It's happening out there too, Canada and all that. So, you know, we, we, we have a completely different system, but far too many times, you know, we get away from what the true essence is. And we're here just to, just to produce fast swimming, just to make sure that these kids graduate in four years. And then you continue with the next round of kids and continue with the rest now, you know, round of kids. And then you get a national championship along the way, you get a conference championship along the way, you make someone part of the national team along the way, then that's a plus, but it's a long-term, uh, a long-term process for me. Nice, man. I love that advice. Really good stuff. A lot of great um, takeaways for assistant coaches, you know, especially just be patient, be available and, um, and be the person that the head coach can rely on. I think that the huge points yeah. right there, uh, man, we've been teammates for a long time. Have you got a, have you got a good Brett Hawk story? Brett Hawk story. I mean, besides the one that I, uh, <laughs> that I mentioned during my recruiting trip, um, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Oh yeah. No, of course I do. Of course I do. Um, uh -oh. I think, no, 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 it's all good. It's all good. I think we, uh, we, uh, we went to Gainesville and it might've been, uh, whether it was SEC. So maybe we raced Florida in a dual meet and, um, a couple of things happened at that meet. I think, uh, some people were, uh, in trouble academically, so we couldn't take the entire uh, men's, men's, men's team. It came down to the last relay, and uh, we lost by a point. 
And so David was furious. I remember David being, you know, bonkers. I mean, he was upset. He was, he was, he was mad. He, he sat us all down and all that, you know, how dare you and whatnot. And I think it was the same year that we ended up winning the national championship, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So we went to their outdoor facility, you know, we went outside and they had that, you know, the outdoor facility. And I remember doing fifties. I don't know if it was fly free. I can't remember what it was, but it was for about an hour and a half straight <laughs> doing pull-ups on one end, doing push-ups on the other end, going back and forth and all that. Um, but then after the whole thing was done, I think we went for lunch and, uh, they have this area in Gainesville when there is like, uh, there's like graffitis, you know, in the back and, uh, and in the wall and they, and they do their drawings and, and whatnot. So there's this bus stop. And, uh, <laughs> I remember, you know, we're getting out of the restaurant and everybody, for some reason, you know, you cross the street and you were standing right there and we're like, you know, what's Brett going to do now? You know, like there's always something going on with you. There's always something you, know, you try. You'll be the kind of guy that it will wake up, you know, on, on, on Sunday morning at six in the morning and be completely full of energy. You know, guys, let's go. Let's back in the place. Let's get ready to go. And everybody's like, Brett, chill out. No, 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 no. Look at the sun. Look at the day. We got to go outside. We got to lay out. We got to do this and all that. So at that moment, I remember you going across the street and you're sitting on that bus stop and the bus is coming in. And it probably took like 10 seconds. And all of a sudden, there's no hockey. There's no bread. And five, six, seven, ten of us were like, oh, my God, where the hell did he go? You know, did he really take the bus and just went somewhere else? You were actually hiding behind, you know, the, the bench. And then you came up and you're like, yeah, I got you guys and all that. So <laughs> that was something, you know, pretty funny. And uh, and uh, I always tell the story when people ask me things about you. So, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing, man. Uh, we, we had some good times together. David David tried to break us a few times, but I think the bond that we had <laughs> together, it, it's, uh, it made us stronger in a, in a sense, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, you did mention David and uh, I, I got a few people in, uh, in that little circle, you know, and he's certainly one of them. Um, David is someone that he, and he knows, you know, every time that I have to make a, whatever I call a life changing decision, you know, uh, whether it's another job, whether it's, uh, you know, family matter, whether it's a personal matter and all that, that's someone that I know that I can reach out via text, I can reach out in a phone call, and I'm always going to get that advice, you know, um, but that, that, that circle has definitely grown, you know, I, 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 got, I mean, I, I try to continue having that mentality of an assistant coach, you know, of, of, of a young guy, of someone that is still, you know, trying to stay green. And that's something that I learned uh, when I took a break from coaching swimming and all that. And I was in the car business, as a matter of fact, in California. Um, you know, the, the person that I worked at the time, I mean, he's still part of that circle for me. And I reach out to him every so often and all that because things that I learned at that moment of my life is, is a lot of the stuff that I applied to coaching and, and even recruiting nowadays. But um, David is someone that is definitely holding a, a very special place because I know that he... He's always going to have that advice, you know, good or bad, whether you want to hear it or not, you know, it's going to cut through it right there, you know, but you, you definitely need to hear that and have that reality checkpoint. And he's always been like that since day one with me, even during the, the, you know, the college days and when I was swimming and having issues on the academic side and, and, and now eventually, you know, uh, doing what I'm doing. So um, I do appreciate everything that he's done for me and for us. And, and yeah, he's, uh, he's a good person to have. He's a good person to have in your back pocket for sure. Well, listen, man, one of the things that is overlooked is, uh, you know, you're an incredible husband and father as well to, uh, to your wife, Irene, and your kids, Victoria and Camilla and Nicholas. And, um, 
it's it's a very tough balance, right? To be in, uh, especially within the SEC, or to be a college coach, and the amount of time and energy that it takes away. How do you balance? Um, you know, what what are some of the things, some some advice you can give to coaches out there to say, hey, this is how you could be a better husband, or this is how you could be a better father, because it's a it's a very tough balance, right? You know, it's uh, it's an incredible, it's very difficult, tough balance, uh, Brad. Uh, I I. I I struggle. I try to learn, you know, a new thing every day. I try to be as communicative as I can, you know, I try to, co- to talk to Irene as much as I can. And, and um, you know, some things that obviously, you know, uh, you don't need to bring into, into your dinner table because you don't want to bring the job into, uh, into, uh, into, you know, into your house. To, I think for me, the number one priority is to become a better husband every day, you know, for me to become a better father every day. And, and then, my, my, you know, my kids on the team, they understand that and they respect that. But um, I think us, because of the nature of who we are as coaches, we are the ones that have a tough way to separate that, you know. And that's the one thing that I always try to find ways to to uh, to cope with that. You know, I try to get some self-growth. I try to listen to podcasts. I try to, let, you know, to read a book here and there, you know, things that I will, for some reason, just open up my horizons. And even though when I feel like the circle is closing, and it's not really fun for me to get a way out. Then I reach out to people. You know, I, I, I mean, I did mention, you know, I might go and find a way to, to reach out to David. I might, I mean, I've done it a couple of times and he can testify to that. You know, I call Bob Bowman, you know, every so often and, and, and just trying to get perspective from people that whether or not they've been in a situation before, once again, you know, I try to keep true to that, to that green mentality, you know, um, always, always trying to look and seek for advice from people that have been in a situation before and whether or not, you know, they can give me something that they can help me out. At least, you know, they have the, the, the ability to listen for five, 10 minutes and just, and just give you some sort of advice. So the answer is yes, it's extremely difficult. I think, uh, I think uh, you have to find time to make it for yourself. I think you have to find something, whether it's, exercising, whether it's finding time to read a book or, or just, you know, put yourself away a little bit from the whole equation and give time to yourself first. And then after that, hopefully everything is going to fall into place, but uh, I'm still learning to do that. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. I know you're busy there and uh, got plenty to do. So um, it's it's great to catch up with you. Thanks for sharing some stories. Thanks for the advice for the coaches and people out there listening. Uh, It's good stuff, man. So thank you. You got it, Brad. Thank you so much. Good luck with your uh, podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on deck at some point, man. Good luck at USC too, right? Yeah, yeah. A bit of fun out there. It's, it's good to do, <laughs> do some coaching again. Thanks, man. War Eagle. War Eagle, yeah. Roll Tide, baby. Dude, you're <laughs> supposed to say Roll Tide. I got you on that one. No, I say Roll Tide after that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Bye. See ya.